welcome to take your child back there if you're our guest today. Um, thank you for singing to me. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm 25 today, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I just, yeah, so anyways, not really, but, um, but I'm glad you chose to be with us, and I know it's uh, a big day. Y'all are going to be celebrating later today because it's my birthday, or because it's a Super Bowl. I don't know which one of them. You're probably having parties all over uh, anyways, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, last week, I talked to you about a very abstract component of what does it look like to be the body, something that it's not always easy to quantify and may not feel practical, but the main question I asked you to begin and end uh, last week was simply this, do you love as well as you used to? Uh, have you grown in your faith to a point where you've become very keyed into what Scripture says, but yet at the same time, you're struggling to show love to people? Because one of the things that we can see over and over again in the life of a Christian is when they first come to know Christ, they can be very excited, be very open about sharing their faith. And then as time goes by and we really push, you know, you really need to study Scripture, you really need to learn more about the Bible, you can actually learn all about Scripture and at the same time lose the thing that makes this life so precious, the ability to not only love but to show the love of God to others as we have received it. So, Today, what I want to do is I want to go a little bit in the other direction. Today, I want to talk more practically with you. Exactly what does it look like to be the body of Christ, and how has God empowered us to do that? Now, already, we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Pentecost and how important it is that as a believer, we recognize when we repent of our sins, when we ask God to save us, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross, He rose from the dead, and that He is our Savior, something miraculous happens. We are completely changed. Not only are we changed, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us as a deposit, as a helper, and as the one that will empower us throughout our life leading up to our time that we'll spend with God in eternity. It's an incredible thing that God does in our lives, and we have the opportunity to either live fully in it or we have the opportunity to just somewhat ignore it and think, I just need to take care of the basics, and therefore I'll be good when I die. And there are so many people that follow through with that type of Christianity, and it is defeating, it is depressing, and you will eventually give up on any belief that God is actually capable and wanting to do something amazing within your lives. So today I want to talk to you a little about what the Holy Spirit does and how that works, and I want to start with a story that you don't necessarily uh, equate with talking about spiritual gifts or about the church as a whole, but I want you to see some key things about this. We're going to walk through very quickly Jesus' miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, before we do that, if you'll remember, leading up to the feeding of the 5,000, we sometimes think, well, that's amazing, and some estimates actually put the feeding of the 5,000 at somewhere closer to 12,000 rather than just the stated 5,000 because of the number of the people that would have been there. If you've ever wondered who those people were, a lot of the people that ended up coming to Jesus in this moment, if you read this passage in context, which means you look at what's happening before and after, and this is one of Honestly, one of the greatest challenges a lot of people have in understanding Scripture, we read one passage and we believe it's isolated from everything around it, but it's not. All of this, that as we read it through Scripture, has a context that we need to understand. And if you've ever walked into the room and someone overheard a conversation and they didn't hear anything that led up to your statements, 
and then all of a sudden you're embarrassed because they don't know the context? Well, that's exactly what happens when we go through Scripture and we're not looking for context. In this context, John the Baptist has just been killed. Now, you need to remember that before Jesus began his public ministry, Jesus was not a well-known figure everywhere. He was well-known in some small circles, and he had begun to gather some disciples around him. But the one who was the superstar in the circles of religious influence at this time was John the Baptist. He had been preaching for a while out in the desert. He had been telling people, the time we have been waiting for, it is here. And he has been baptizing others and also baptized Jesus. Now, he had more followers than Jesus had. And the time came when John began to speak out against the established ruling party because they were doing some truly terrible things, and he called them out for it. And they became so enraged that he would not just let them live however they wanted to live that they killed him. Jesus was, would go on to say in Luke seven twenty eight, he said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus would not say that about anyone else. That was how important John was. That was how important John was to Jesus. That was how important John was to the telling of the gospel as Jesus would lay it out from this point forward. And all of those thousands of people that had come to listen to John were now without a leader. Now, not everyone in this crowd were some of John's disciples, but many, many were. And as we come to this passage, what we're going to find is that Jesus is pretty exhausted at this point. If you could imagine one of you lost one of your best friends, a partner in ministry, someone who got what you were trying to get out into the world, and they have just been murdered. And so Jesus, like other instances where his, those who were close to him suffered, for example, the death of Lazarus before he brought him out of the tomb. It said he wept over the death of Lazarus. We can imagine that for Jesus, this was an emotional moment of someone who was murdered for good news. So as we walk into this, here's what I want you to do. That video was kind of fun. We are going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And if I could have any superpower... I would probably want the one that he mentioned, the ability to just absorb someone else's. Wouldn't that be fun? So for a while, I'm the fastest person on the face of the planet, but that's going to get boring eventually. And so now you can fly. I'm going to come up and get your power. I want to be able to fly. Or maybe nothing hurts me. I'm invulnerable. I never get hurt no matter what I do. We would like for our kids to have that gift, wouldn't we? It would be great if we could have a superpower. But what I want you to know is that God has given you something greater. But often it is never or it is underutilized. So today, as we walk through this, not only this story, but also we're going to look at 1 Corinthians talking about spiritual gifts today. What I want you to do is I want you to recognize that right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to him, if you have accepted him as your savior, you have received the Holy Spirit you have been adopted into his family. The Holy Spirit is ministering to you, speaking to you, opening God's word so that you can understand it better. And the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift to change the world with. 
Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment, if you're sitting here, the Holy Spirit has empowered you to change the world, not on your own, but with a supernatural ability. Now, how many of us actually feel that that's the kind of life that we're living? How many of us actually believe that I am empowered supernaturally to change the world? I think it's easier when you're young. I think it's easier to think, you know, we're going to eventually, when we have the opportunity to influence things in the world, we're going to change those things. I think it's very natural as you get older, when you begin to see how crazy this world is, that we begin to lose some little bit of hope that God is actually going to do the miraculous through us. Now, the story of feeding the 5,000 is going to focus on some fish and some bread. I want you to read this story with the lens that God has given you, not some fish and some bread, but God has given you a spiritual gift. And I want you to see how Jesus handles this encounter, which is we often gloss over and miss the details of how Jesus is teaching his disciples how they are going to eventually change the world. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, begin with, with uh, verse 13. I'm going to read through it first, and then we're going to walk through a couple of important verses here. Verse 13 says, Now when Jesus heard this, talking about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. You can imagine his disciples had heard about Jesus. They had seen John baptize Jesus And they knew Jesus was the next person to lead if John the Baptist is gone. When he went ashore, he saw, talking about Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and then the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. If you begin to factor in the number of women and children that may have been with those 5,000 men, that number can all of a sudden increase dramatically. It's not enough that 5,000, I mean, how do you feed 5,000 people, much less with just all that they had to feed them with? But that number could have been way more, easily doubled, likely tripled. Now, there are a few things that I want you to see about this, because this is a familiar story, but it's a familiar story. It's about God's unexpected power. God shows up in unexpected ways with unexpected power to meet basic needs for people that he cared about. Whether it were, there were, you were a blind person who needed to be healed, whether you were crippled, And you needed to walk. Amazingly, Jesus even healed those that would never follow him. Because Jesus regularly had compassion on those that were around him that were suffering. There's a few things that I want you to see from this. If we go back to verse 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. 
when you begin to tap into the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to move you to behave in ways that Jesus behaved because we believe in the Trinity, the Godhead, the three in one, depending on how you have heard it referenced, and that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. You and I, we cannot fully understand how three can become one because in our minds, three are three. One is one. Three is not one. But here we find that the Holy Spirit will move you to be like Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit moves you to live and to interact with people like Jesus, then whenever we see Jesus doing something, we can say, hey, the Holy Spirit's probably going to move me, if not already, at some point in this same direction. And where he moved him, And where he should move us, if we are being attentive to what God is doing in our lives, is that God will stir your compassion in your heart for others. So that no matter what you are going through, you will take time to care for them. Jesus was dealing with the loss of John. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We know he didn't sin, but we also know that he got angry at injustice. You can imagine there was some anger there over his death because it was needless. And yet it played a purpose. But God stopped anyways. It says he healed their sick. And after he spoke to them for a while, even in the midst of being emotionally drained, I would say these kinds of events, when you lose someone like this, stack up higher than some of the work weeks that we have. And I know sometimes I just feel like I have nothing to offer at the end of a long week. I don't know about you. Sometimes at the end of a long day, and sometimes it's by lunchtime on Monday, to be honest. I'm just exhausted. But one of the things that Jesus consistently did was he was available when people needed him, even when he was exhausted. Now, regularly we see Jesus pulling away, And taking time to rest, and so that is crucially important for us to do as well. But in these moments when people were hurting, this is where Jesus was. God will stir our compassion in our heart for others no matter what we're going through at this moment. No matter how discouraged, no matter how upset, no matter how depressed, God will stir compassion in us because that is at the heart of love for others. Having compassion for those who are struggling. For me... Uh, This really is one of my regular struggles. There are times that I'm ready to go. Sunday mornings, I'm ready to go. I've been waiting. I knew since last Sunday that this Sunday morning was coming. I'm ready to go on Sunday morning. You know, I'm probably more helpful. I'm probably nicer and kinder, which will hurt, you know, probably explains if you see me during the week why you think, man, Mark's a jerk during the week. Actually, I hope you never think that. But (laughs) I'm ready on Sunday mornings, and my guess is you're ready on Sunday mornings too. But Tuesday afternoons, that's a whole nother story. Thursday mornings, I mean, we've already been through three rough days of the week. And sometimes I see someone in need, and what I'm thinking about is not their need. I'm thinking about my need. I'm tired. I just don't know that I can deal with this today. Some of my, some of my most urgent conversations with friends and other believers centers around the idea of being long-suffering How do you keep going when you've just continued to care and care and care and it doesn't feel like it's making a difference? And I've got some great people in my life that I can watch and they encourage me and I encourage them that even though I'm ready to give up because I'm tired, 
We keep going because the heart of Jesus is within us when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. It's one of my regular struggles of asking, well, what can I do to help? There are some things that come up. I'm like, gosh, that is so huge. We're incapable of helping. I want to help. There are other times that I may be asked to help in some specific way, and I know that I should, and the Holy Spirit is saying, go do this, but I feel incapable. There are a number of things that stop our compassion whenever we see somebody in need. But if we have the heart of Jesus, we are going to continue to keep moving forward. Some of the questions that sometimes come up are, well, I want to help, but what if they don't like the way I help them? Cynicism is a huge burden for a Christian. And it's easily learned in the world in which we live. It would be easy when Jesus said, I want you to go feed them. Can you imagine someone saying, well, yeah, but what if we give them bread and somebody needs gluten-free? I mean, they'll get mad at us. Those are the words, the thoughts that go through my head. What if somebody wants chicken? They don't like fish. You know, what do we do then? Because somebody's going to get, you know somebody's going to get upset that we're serving fish. And it's not the right kind of fish. It's probably an endangered species somewhere. So we probably, <laughs> we probably ought to just mosey on along and leave them to fend for themselves. You know, it's easy to find reasons to not have compassion when people are in need. In need. What I do know is that whenever these times come and these calls come to care, whether it's a late night call or whether it's an ongoing trying to care and it, you're just not sure if it's working well, what I know is that every time we fail to sacrifice for others, my and your soul becomes weary. This is one of the very difficult things to understand when you begin to know Christ. There are things that exhaust us physically, but there are things that exhaust our souls. And there is no exhaustion like the exhaustion of a soul. You know how that feels, I'm sure, at some point. I'm just, I'm just trying to hang on. I'm just trying to keep going. The thoughts come through your minds, this world is just not for me. I'm just ready to end this now. We go through times of soul weariness where we just question, God, are you real? Are you there? Is this all for nothing? Does this matter? And in those times, it is often what we try to protect ourselves from that have the greatest ability to build us up and to give us rest in our souls. Because that rest is always found in Christ. That rest is always found in following Him. It's always found in giving compassion when compassion is needed and sharing love when love is needed and sharing truth when truth is needed and having our lives wrapped around Jesus all the time. Every time we fail to sacrifice for others, because let's be honest, serving and giving to others is sacrifice. Our soul becomes weary. Maybe physically we protect ourselves, but physical exhaustion does not compare to soul exhaustion when the Holy Spirit begins to cease speaking to us. It's not that He stops speaking, it's that we stop listening. And it's when our faith begins to feel like it's worthless. There is a peace that can be found when you are called to give when you don't want to give. Because you know that when you follow through with what the Holy Spirit is telling you, no matter how tired you are at that moment, God is going to fill you back up 
and so you keep going. I know many of you are doing this with people that you love. Many of you are doing this in your families. Many of you are doing this here in our church. You're continuing to give of yourselves even when you're tired. But when you know that God is going to restore you, it becomes easier to continue to give. Whenever we fix our eyes on ourselves, that's when this unholy exhaustion just oh, it overwhelms us. It's why people leave the church. It's why people stop coming to church. It's why people stop reading Scripture. It's why people stop believing, God, you're going to do something amazing through me today. And instead, we think, today's just going to be another day. Nothing amazing is going to happen. And it's not that God doesn't want to do it. But when we take this, this way of living life to focus on ourselves, we completely block what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. Verse 15 of Matthew Chapter 14 goes on to say, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away. Go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. Who does it say should go give them something to eat? Now this is where you're going to live from now until you die or until Jesus returns. Jesus consistently coming and saying, I want you to change the world. If you can't change continents, change the people around you. And instead of Jesus saying, guys, we got to feed these people, I got a plan. He says, you guys go do this. And they responded in the way that you and I respond. Jesus, there's just really no way we can do this. I mean, it would be better just to tell them to go on. I mean, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do here. And I will tell you, that is what you are doing if you do not believe in this very moment that the Holy Spirit wants to do something amazing and supernatural in your life. That is how you're living. You're living just as the disciples have lived at this moment. What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. Looking around, there's nothing here. Instead, we say, God, I'm not a good speaker. God, I'm not a good listener. God, I don't know what I would say to them. God, I don't know how I can help them. God, their need is too big. I don't have the resources. It's exactly the same thing. And yet Jesus, knowing they would respond this way, said, you go feed them. What is God saying to you right now to change the world around you? He is saying something to you. You cannot be breathing a breath in this world and God not be saying through the Holy Spirit into your life, change the world. It's impossible. Because that is the heart of Jesus for this world. So that it would not die in all of the muck in which it is in, but instead would live in fullness through him. If you're a Christian, God's calling you to change the world. Jesus called the disciples to go and to do this. And now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, God has chosen his church to change the world with his power. And this is where we miss it. And this is where they missed it because they thought they had to do it under their own ability to figure this out. And when we try to do that as the church today, we will fail. If we've got to figure it out, I'm looking at our budget. There's no way we can make this happen. I'm looking at the number of people we have here. There's no way we'll ever make a dent in the problem. 
When we approach the world through that lens, we deny what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And if you live in that world day in and day out, not believing in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will become depressed, you will want to give up, and you will fail to believe that God is still at work in the world today. And that happens way too often. Way too often. Do you believe that today you're on an adventure that God is going to empower you to supernaturally change the world? Or do you believe you're just hanging on and you're like the guy in the video? I must be a little pinky finger. I'm not, I, I, got, I can't do anything. As long as you deny God's power in your life, you will remain powerless. You cannot escape that. As long as you deny what he wants to do in your life, you will remain powerless. Faith always always, always leads to action because God is so desperately needed everywhere in this world. You cannot have faith and God will not say to you, Mark, just take care of yourself. They'll be fine. He'll never say that because Jesus never lived that way. Jesus never came to the moment that he said, you know what, God, I'm just going to have a little bit of me time right now. Every me time Jesus ever took was time for him to spend with his father to regenerate him for the time that he would give to people again. And that is never more evident than in the garden before he was crucified when he cried out, sweating tears of blood. This burden is too huge. But this is your will, and I will do it. Now, thankfully, we do not have to die for the rest of the world although there are many Christians who are dying for their faith in the world. Jesus did that. You and I have a role to play here. Are we denying the power of God in us? Verse 19, it says, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down. After the disciples have said, "Uh, We can't do anything. Send them away. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And said a blessing. Now some of us think, well, Jesus just, you know, boom, there it was. But he reached out to the Father to make this happen. Just as you have to reach out to the Father for anything supernatural to happen in your life. He reached up to the Father and said a blessing. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And who gave it to the crowds? The people that Jesus originally told to go take care of this problem. Now, can you imagine Jesus standing up there and five, ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people walking up? Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. That would have taken forever. The point was not expediency, though. The point was for them to see and to believe because when he was gone, they would have to experience this kind of thing in their own lives without Jesus doing it for them. But would they believe? Would they have faith? He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. If you question whether God can do something miraculous in your life and in your world, then you have to look at this story and recognize that God is always a provider, and He always provides more than is needed. Whenever we look to ourselves, see, This is why I'm convinced that we don't value supernatural spiritual gifts like we value supernatural powers in a superhero movie. 
is because the supernatural gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit, we cannot depend on ourselves for those. Now, if I have something within me that makes me just naturally strong or naturally fast or naturally impenetrable from any bullet fired from anywhere, then I can can trust and hope in myself. Look at what I can do. I'm capable of this. But for Holy Spirit, He's got to be the one to do this, and I have to rely on Him. That is why we do not value spiritual gifts, because we do not want to have to depend on anyone else. But if we don't depend on Him, we will live a very empty, closed, soul-exhausted life. We have the opportunity to be empowered to change the world. God will do miraculous things in you and through you, but you have to stop believing that you're on your own. You have to begin to believe God is with you while you're here, when you leave here, when you go to work with those people that do not understand a thing about who you are, and they're mean and cruel, and they're trying to take your promotion. Whenever you have to go and you have to hang out with your neighbors and their dog poops all over your yard all the time, why don't you go clean it up? When we think they're just so far gone, the things that they're into, the things that control them, there's no, nothing I can say or do. They're, it's too, they're, they're in too deep. When we begin to say that, we begin to say, God is not with me. God is not capable. That is not who God created you to be. That is not how God works. But that is why the church often feels powerless. Is because we've stopped believing that God is with us, And God is going to do amazing things through us. God is with you. Even Jesus, he prayed to God before he performed this miracle. It doesn't even present it that he was able, though I'm sure he would have been, able to manipulate the quantity of fish and bread to feed everybody. He depended on God. When he was on the cross, he depended on God. When he wasn't sure he wanted to go through with something, he depended on God. He depended on God. And that's where we have to be. Do we believe God is with us? Do we believe God is empowering us? See, God empowers the body, you and me. God empowers us to accomplish his purpose through the Holy Spirit. You are not expected to do it alone. Whenever you walk into the room and you're thinking, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know how to deal with this situation. I don't know how to help take care of this need. The point is, God does. And if we begin to open ourselves to his power and his influence, that is when the Christian faith becomes alive. That is when we say, just do it again, God. That is when we say, that was amazing, and people come together and they want to talk about it over. Remember when that thing? Remember that happened? That was awesome. Man, I want to, I want to experience that again. But instead, more often we say, God, I mean, what do you expect? I mean, I don't have that much to offer. Now, it's amazing that God addresses so many of our concerns in so many places throughout Scripture. And he says, God's power is made perfect in your perfect intellectual strength. Doesn't say that. God's power is made perfect in what? Weakness. You see, if it wasn't in weakness, then we could rely on ourselves. 
my own energy, my own ability to talk my way into things, my own ability to talk you out or into something else. I would rely on my own exuberance. I would rely, which I don't have a lot of, if any of you know me. I would have to rely on my own wisdom. And I tell you, oftentimes I'll get a a phone call or someone will want to talk, and I'll be like, the very first thing I do when they tell me what's going on, I'm like, God, what, what in the world am I supposed to do here? I always thought pastors had all the answers. And pastors always have an answer, right? It's kind of like a parent. A parent always has an answer. Sometimes they realize they gave the wrong answer later, and then they got to figure out how to move things back on course. But I always thought pastors had all the answers. Somehow they just knew, or somehow somebody was standing back giving them tough questions and wouldn't let them be a pastor unless they passed all those tests. That doesn't happen. Often my first thing is, God, I, what, what are we, we going to do here? How, how do I need to respond? What word of wisdom do you have for them? And there are moments that, man, gosh, God delivers, and I just lay it out there. And, I mean, like, light comes from all around, and angels begin singing, and there's, ooh, you know, I have just expounded God's wisdom into your life. But that doesn't happen very often. Instead, I go, God, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this. What do you want me to do here? How do, we, how do we handle this? God empowers the body to accomplish his purposes through the Holy Spirit. If it was up to me, then I would never help anyone. If it was up to you, you would never help anyone. We would spend our entire lives helping ourselves. But instead, the Holy Spirit has been given us to be empowered to help others. That's what Jesus did over and over and over again. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm not, I'm not going to get through all this today. I'm going to have to finish this up next week. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we, this is one of the most, one of the best teachings of what spiritual gifts are in all of Scripture. Not only does it give a number of the spiritual gifts, which I think it is important to know what spiritual gifts the Scripture talks about, I do not believe these are the only ways that God ever works. I think this is how they, God was working in them at this moment. But when we look at this passage, it begins to explain to us how is God going to work in us. Remember, the spiritual gift in you, in your life, as you see it, may be five loaves and two fish. It's enough for me to get me by, but I really don't think it's enough to help anybody else. But when we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, He multiplies what God has given us. And that's how the world has changed. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives you, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe what he's saying here is there are a lot of people that can convince you to follow things that are not true. And so when he talks about you were led astray for, to worship these speechless idols, there was a charismatic speaker who was able to convince you that this worthless, powerless idol is better than the one true living God. And because they were charismatic, they carried us away. And some of these were saying things like, 
Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is just a man. He was just a teacher. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. And in all honesty, people do this today. We have lots of religious Christians teaching that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he was not God. This was happening back in these times. And what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is it is impossible It is impossible to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to deny Jesus. Anyone who denies Jesus or the power of Jesus, they do not know God. They are using religious rhetoric for their own purposes, which is known to to happen from time to time. He also goes on to say, and this speaks to the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and if you are a follower of Jesus, what God has already done in power in your life is that no one comes to know that Jesus is Lord except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's doing as he's introducing this next section on spiritual gifts is he's saying the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary to know him. It's necessary to grow. It's necessary to live. But it is coming from outside of us, which I don't know about you. For me is good news. My ability to know God and to walk with God all depends on me. I'm up a creek. And maybe you are too. But instead, he has given us the Holy Spirit, and this is what we have had the opportunity to experience. You cannot, no matter how much you want to, you cannot fake the work of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the Holy Spirit that you can know Jesus. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that you will ever see something supernatural happen through your life. It's the only way. If you're reading Scripture for the purpose of being able to quote it when you disagree with somebody, you will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are going through every Bible study you can find for the power of building up in your mind knowledge without any goal in which to practice this knowledge to care and love others, you will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit. If your goal in attending church is to somehow assuade an angry, judgmental God so that he said, well, they were there at church quite a bit. I'm going to give them a pass. You will not experience the Holy Spirit in your life. But if you believe that you are in need of the saving power of Jesus Christ, if you believe that the Holy Spirit works as Scripture tells us it works, And if you believe that your role in this place from the moment that you knew Jesus was your Lord, your your place in this world is to lead others to do the same so that they can experience what you've experienced, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatever spiritual gift you have, God will use it to supernaturally change people around you. So we go through... The rest of this, and I'm not. I'm going to wait. I'm going to finish this up next week. I think this is enough for today. But I do want to leave you with this: as we, we'll, we, I want to pick up two things next week. I want to pick up what these spiritual gifts are, and the second thing I want to pick up, and this is where I think it's more crucial for us as a church, is what does it look like for a collection of people that have all various types of spiritual gifts among us? What does it look like for us to work together?
Because here's the amazing thing. Did you know encouragement is one of the spiritual gifts? It's probably one of the most evident spiritual gifts that a person might have because they exercise it regularly and you feel encouraged around them. It's not hard to picture or find somebody with the gift of encouragement. They're constantly encouraging. Now, someone with the gift of giving may never say an encouraging word ever to you, and yet they are constantly helping people in need regularly over and over and over again, and they usually don't let anybody know that they're doing it. It can sometimes be difficult to see if someone has the gift of giving. A person with the gift of encouragement may look at somebody with the gift of giving, though their very gift would probably keep them from doing this, could look at a person with the gift of giving and say, are you letting the Holy Spirit do anything in you? How about when we get somebody with the gift of mercy? The gift of mercy is one that I've always wanted. I, I went through a counseling degree in seminary, and we sat in one class, and the professor was trying to make a point about spiritual gifts, and he asked, how many people in the room have the gift, spiritual gift of mercy? And all but two people raised their hand. Can you guess that I was one of those two? Because counselors usually have a lot of mercy. I have mercy to a degree. And then I reach my level, and I'm like, you need to take care of this, right? Does anybody else do that, or is it just me? Now, you need to deal with this, okay? I, we, I've been holding your hand long enough. It's time to make some action. Take some, make some steps here. That's why I'm not a counselor. <laughs> One of my spiritual gifts is the gift of prophecy. Now, I'd love for you to think that the gift of prophecy in my life means I can tell your future. That would be awesome, and I would have a booth up here after church, and for a 10 spot, I'll tell you your future. (laughs) I would love for that to be the gift of prophecy, because people love that gift. You're going to turn out just fine. I mean, that's how they all work out anyways. It's like fortune cookies. You never get a fortune cookie that says it's all over. You never get one because you'll never go back to that restaurant again. So they always say, you're about to come into a fortune. Well, of course, I just ate a fortune cookie. Came into my fortune. It's in my hand. It's now in my belly. See, a person with the gift of prophecy believes it's important for people to know what is true. It is the essence of truth-telling. You need to know what is true. I may not say it in a very palatable way, but at least you'll know it is true and you can act in truth. A person with a gift of mercy looks at me and says, you're not even saved. Jesus would never do that. I mean, he would fashion a whip and walk into a church courtyard and beat everybody, but he would always show mercy in doing it. And a person with a gift of prophecy looks at a person with a gift of mercy and says, you are such an enabler. I mean, how can you even claim to know Jesus? Because you enable everybody. You, can't, you give them 15 million chances. Come on, take some steps. <laughs> and so God, in all of his wisdom, decided to put a person with the gift of mercy in the seat next to the person with the gift of prophecy. He put in the same body a person with the gift of teaching with a person with the gift of encouragement. He put someone in there in that body with the gift of giving in which most people would never know that that is what they're exercising unless they have experienced their generosity. And he puts us all in this place because we all have a role because you were, and this is what I want to leave you with. It would be easy to look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and say, God wants to change the world through me. Y'all get back. Let me show you how this is done. That is not the way the body works. The body is a team. 
It takes every person with every background, with every experience. It takes people who have may have walked the line straight edge, never done anything wrong in many people's minds in the church with, with those that you would look at and say they have just made one bad mistake after the other through their life. But through the power of Jesus, her life was changed. It takes broken people and whole people coming together. It takes people saying, I will use what I've been given to benefit others. And something miraculous happens. And my guess is, is that if you're a Falcons or a Patriots fan, you've already hinged your hopes for later today on probably one or two players. But the truth is, your player cannot win the game on their own no matter how talented they are. And neither can the church accomplish its mission. If anyone thinks they can do it on their own, it takes us all. It's why we can at times disagree in the church. It's why at times we can argue in the church. Because God has created us to be different. Look at the disciples. When you look at someone like Peter, who's headstrong, He's someone who goes out and tells the truth. He doesn't take anything from anybody. But he often sticks his foot in his mouth and he often gets in in trouble. And then you see someone like Barnabas, who everybody likes Barnabas. I mean, he's the popular one. Everybody likes Barnabas because he's so nice. Peter's not so nice. We don't really like Peter. But Barnabas, he's like him. It takes us all together in the body. So... As we prepare for next week, I'll finish this up next week, and I really want to talk about how God works with all these gifts differently. Here's what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to ask yourself, do you believe that God wants to do something supernaturally through you to change the world? Do you believe it? See, I need you to believe it. God needs you to believe it. It's not enough for me to say it. You have to, within your heart, within your soul, say, This is what God wants to do, and I get to be a part of it. And if we don't, if we say, God, I just, you know, I see people who definitely that fits, but that's not me. Then you will live a discouraged, despairing life, going from religious belief to religious Bible study to religious service, one right after the other, and you will feel totally empty inside. Asking yourself, is God real? Does any of this really matter? But if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, believe this today. Live in this today. And I'm going to be praying for you when you come back next week and we, begin, we finish this up. I'm going to be praying that you will come with the confidence that God is going to change the world through you. I don't know how, but I know that if we all come together and the Holy Spirit is working among us, we will change our city. That's what we're here for. But we can't do it unless we're all empowered together. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for, gosh, such great diversity in our, our room today from all different backgrounds, from different nationalities, from different spiritual gifts, different personalities, those who are just so gracious in giving and those who are full of mercy and those who want people to know and to walk in truth. 
We thank you for the teachers that are in our room. We thank you for those with wisdom. We thank you for those with discernment. Father, I thank you for those with a passion to go out just as the apostles did and be on mission to share the gospel. I thank you that you brought us all here together in this place. And I pray that you would would grow our faith to know you are going to do amazing things in our lives. Father, help us to believe and to see you work and do supernatural things through us. Let us change the world around us through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.